A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. Hey, welcome to Deep Into Sleep, episode zero six. Three. Hope you all have a wonderful holiday last week. During this week, I sit in my living room quite a lot, and unfortunately, I did not have a very good chair to support my back. So after sitting there for quite several days and long hours each day, I start feeling a lot of back pain and shoulder pain. I can even feel those pain at night when I sleep. How interesting it is for human being is when we don't have pain, everything seems fine. But when some parts of our body start feeling painful, everything, every movement, every sensation reminds us of that pain. Reminds us how inconvenient it is. Especially when I try to sleep, if I feel the soreness of my back, my shoulder. It's just so annoying, and sometimes definitely get into my way of falling asleep. Fortunately for me, it's not chronic pain, and I can solve the problem by buying a much better chair, which I am doing that so far. But think about if you are suffering from something like chronic pain, if it has been a problem for you for a long time. What can you do? How can you feel so painful at night, but still manage to sleep better and sleep okay with it? Is that possible for us to coexist, to live with the pain we feel physically, and let it not interfere our sleep quality as much as it has been? So today we have a pain and sleep specialist, Dr. Daniel Bong, who has a private practice in Tampa, Florida. He has a lot of trainings in primary care setting and pre-surgical settings, and he specialized in treating patients who have excessive body weight and chronic pain, and how they can manage these life challenges. And while sleeping better at night. Welcome, Dr. Bong, to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today and to join you guys and to talk about all things sleep and and weight loss and pain related. So, since these are all interacting, so. That's awesome! I'm really excited because I know you are a clinical psychologist specialized、uh, with sleep and many other conditions for patients, and you have a lot of training in different areas.、Um, do you want to share with the audience what your specialties are? What kind of population you work with most? Yes, of course. Thank you so much.、Um, so yes, I'm. I'm a, um, again, I'm a, a licensed psychologist here in Florida, but、um, my background really is in health psychology, and that all started for me back in graduate school,、um, and that continued on through into internship and then postdoc after that.、Uh, 
Um, and what I really work with is the majority of my clients actually are individuals who are living with excess body weight in some capacity. Um, and then on top of that, also living with sleep related issues or pain related issues. And um, I would say I also see individuals who are just one of those areas, but usually most of my clients are living with all three and some way or another. Um, and so that's really kind of how I kind of got into this area um, was really primarily because of working with individuals who are seeking weight loss surgery in graduate school. Um, but then really also just seeing how these pieces, especially as it relates to sleep um, and also as it relates to pain, really impacts your behavior. Like it really impacts the things that you do and how you respond to stuff. Um, and so that's how I kind of got to where uh, where I am today. So, Yeah, great. So that's very interesting. People with pain or people with um, body weight challenges, what kind of sleep difficulties you have noticed among patients like this kind of population? Mm -hmm. So another good question. And I would say it really depends. It can be multiple different things. Um, for a lot of my individuals who um, are living with excess body weight, there can be usually a sleep apnea of some kind. Um, and then also usually some type of uh, insomnia related kind of condition can kind of develop or symptoms of insomnia. And so for those individuals, one part that we work on a lot is helping them to really kind of understand how what they're doing during the day is going to really impact what their sleep is going to look like at night. Since insomnia truly is kind of a 24-hour problem, right? It's not just what you're doing in the night. For those individuals, it was all about helping them understand their behavior. And then usually there's often, as it relates to chronic pain, we know that when pain flares up and when, and also fatigue, I say, I would say I work with a lot of individuals with fatigue too. When either one of those two things kind of flare up, good sleep can go out of the window pretty quickly. Um, and usually because of a combination of a few things, number one is just what you're feeling like at the night in terms of your body. If you're laying in one position for too long, or if there's a particular type of injury that might get aggravated by a bed position, but it's also what you do maybe in anticipation of your sleep for that night um, and how you respond to pain flare-ups during the day too. So really it just kind of comes down to understanding what their experience is individually um, and what their pain experience is, as well as what kind of living with that body weight has been making that either helpful or maybe less than helpful and then kind of going from there. So fundamentally it's all about behavior from my perspective, behavior and what your, how your mind interprets that behavior. So yeah, and that's great point. I really like the point you mentioned. Sleep is not only a nighttime thing. It's a 24-hour thing. A lot of our audience, a lot of us may sometimes ignore that or forget about that. Like daytime behaviors may impact nighttime sleep. That's behaviorally. But also how we interpret sleep play a big role and how we interpret pain, I guess, because I know for chronic pain, especially a lot of time, people not only need to see a medical doctor, take other like rehabilitation uh, treatment or medication, they also need to see psychologists. Why psychologists can help with chronic pain, right? Is that mm -hmm. something to do with their perception of the pain? Mm -hmm. This is a great question. Again, I feel like I've said that a lot so far today, but these are all really good questions. And I would say I get this particular one a lot from clients. So they're like, look, like, why do I want to see a psychologist? Are you telling me that it's like, you know, that the pain is in my head? And I would absolutely say, no, it's not your pain, not in your head. Your pain is legitimate. It's authentic. 
But what we do know is that your mind can either, you know, amplify the pain kind of signal and pain experience that you get, but it can also begin to kind of minimize or to reduce it. It can't necessarily turn off the pain mechanism per se, but what we can definitely know is that it can definitely make pain that's already there a lot worse, and it can make pain that's there maybe a little bit less worse, depending on what our mind does with that pain. Um, since really how you experience pain and how you respond to pain, that very much is shaped by your mind and how you respond to it. So that's cool. The way you explain that really make me feel like it's parallel with how we think about sleep, right? Similarly, how we experience sleep, how we think about sleep. And uh, because I know why if people with sleep disorders need to see a sleep psychologist also, uh-huh, they do have sleep symptoms, but the expectation, like you mentioned, the expectation of sleep and how they, what they do, how they deal with it and how they think about it, it, it can be a big gap in between. Mm-hmm. You got it. And, and I think you kind of highlight a, a good point that I want to make sure that I kind of reiterate too, is that for the majority of my clients, they usually have already seen a medical provider, but I would say medical care is absolutely crucial from this perspective. You know, you really want everyone to have seen a solid, kind of had a solid medical workup first to really evaluate everything that's there and that's happening. And then to really kind of identify that, yep, nope, it looks like there's some really some behavioral pieces of this, whether it's for pain or whether it's for sleep or whether it's kind of emotions related to kind of living with excess body weight and those types of things. Because really wanting to, jump instantly into the fix. And I would say a lot of clients that contact me, they're like, look, can you just make my sleep better in like one or two sessions? And I would say, it sounds like you're really interested in like sleep hygiene, which is not necessarily bad per se, but also really doesn't necessarily work either um, in terms of, you know, it's helpful suggestions. And I would say for some people, they can be really good things to try. In fact, I would encourage all my clients to try them, but really kind of figure out how you're responding to number one, what started the difficulty that you're experiencing can be very different than what's actually maintaining it right now. So that's true, very true for sleep and insomnia, but absolutely critical for pain and how you respond to pain. So Right, right. So now I'm very curious to ask you if a patient with quite a lot of pain and they've been having medical workup and they are taking medications, they are doing whatever the medical doctor tells them to do, but they are very uncomfortable, very annoyed by the pain, very frustrated in the middle of the night. Possibly very common for people who come to see you. I just cannot sleep. Uh, if you say I'm going to take a while and uh, I cannot be rushed, so is there anything they can do? I can imagine if we apply some of the CBT for insomnia technique to them, there may be some pushback. They're like, well, I'm laying on bed. I'm too painful. I cannot get up. I cannot get off the bed. I have to be there. You don't understand. My pain is is too much, right? Whatever suggestion you give me, I don't think I can take it. What do you do? So another another kind of helpful piece that comes up with this, and this is crucial from an insomnia perspective, but I think also for pain as well, is that fundamentally what we're working with is how people respond to and interpret these signals that they kind of interpret to be kind of danger, that they interpret to be kind of like, like something's wrong with me or something's the matter with me in some way. And what we're wanting to do is kind of to create a place, and mindfulness is a great example of where this comes in. You're wanting to create ways to essentially de-arouse or to turn down the volume knob, if you want to use that as a good kind of metaphor. You're finding ways to turn down the volume knob 
when you hit a bump in the road, whether that bump in the road be kind of waking up in the middle of the night or whether that bump in the road being like pain flaring up. And these same kind of strategies, whether it be, you know, the deep breathing or the visualization or some mindfulness kind of exercises. I'm a huge proponent of self-compassion myself. I actually love self-compassion and compassion-focused therapy interventions because I think they dovetail so nicely. They're very integrative from this perspective of, number one, recognizing that when your body is in this kind of danger response mode, the way that you respond to things can be very different than when your body is in a more kind of calm, more relaxed, more kind of centered kind of zone. So to kind of answer your question earlier of what happens with, you know, with your experience of pain in the middle of the night, it's interfering with your sleep. Well, the first thing that we want to do is we want to understand how are we responding to the pain in the middle of the night? So what are you doing with both your body, but also with your mind? And this is one thing that I see a lot for my sleep clients is that we truly underestimate how quickly our mind can kind of crank right back up when you wake up in the middle of the night, like come misconceptions, you think that because you didn't turn on, you know, the lights, or you didn't check your phone for that long, or you didn't do these things that somehow your brain must still be, you know, in it's kind of lullaby state, so to speak. And what we absolutely know is that your mind can whirl back up fairly quickly, depending on what's going through it. And a lot of times, that kind of initial reaction when you wake up in the night because of pain, is the kind of a negative reaction. We almost think of like, oh gosh, there it is again. My pain's back and it means that I'm having another like four hours of uncomfortable on and off again type of sleep. And I'm gonna wake up the next day and go to work and I'm just gonna feel horrible. And so it's really kind of using these same strategies to first create a sense of kind of homeostasis again, a more kind of a deeper sense of kind of felt safety in those moments so that you can then choose how you're going to respond to these things, if that makes sense. Right. So definitely we need to understand ourselves first, how we think, how we interpret things, and then think about what what are some good strategies we can do. I'm sure for different people, even they have the same type of pain or even the same pain level based on how they think differently, strategies, what can be helpful to them possibly can look very different. Definitely. And I would say it depends too on where the pain is coming from. So if it's if it's pain as a result of an injury, then or a past injury that maybe just has moved past, you know, the acute phase of chronic pain and kind of moved into something that's a little bit longer. Um, so meaning that you've been living with it for, for six months or so, and the pain is not necessarily going down at that point. Those types of responses to that might actually be more physical related. So for example, like shifting a position in bed, or also acknowledging too, and this happens a lot with, with sleep in general, is that recognizing that most people wake up several times in the middle of the night. So waking up is not really the challenge. It is what you do after you're awoken and how you respond to that to help your mind and your body go back into that sleep. That's the, I would say, the biggest kind of hurdle to, to jump over first, especially if you're talking about, you know, the waking up in the middle of the night after your sleep is already onset, is this idea of how do I calm myself back down to re-enter into that rest instead of really getting pulled into a cycle that focuses on, gosh, my pain is back or it's worse or you name it. You can fill in the blank, so to speak. To talk a little bit more thoroughly too on more diffuse pain, I think it can be a little bit different. And so that's because when you're waking up and there's kind of a diffuse pain, really the goal in those types of instances can just be, what can I do right now just to lower my overall level of arousal? 
And this is where, again, I would always encourage everyone uh, to consult with your medical prescriber, your, your medical doctor in general, because if there are medications that maybe you need to be taking, or if there are other things that need to be kind of happening at that time too, that's when those things you want to make sure that you're, you're doing as prescribed um, and as recommended by your doctors, not just kind of thinking that if I do a deep breathing exercise that somehow it's all going to be better, so to speak. Right. I definitely notice sometimes if people use whatever tools they get, either psychological tool or medical tool, they think this is going to be the magical thing to help me go back to sleep. Then that actually won't work very mm -hmm. well. Right. I really like what you mentioned. It feels like if you can accept more, like, I have pain, I can live with it, I can still go back to sleep with it, I just need to calm down my mind, it will happen. It may happen like quicker, but if we think that's the enemy, we refuse to, to face it or accept it, say, oh, you come again, I don't like you, I really want to get rid of you. Uh, you, you are destroying my life, pain, you are destroying my life, then I can imagine those people possibly gonna have a really hard time to go back to sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and I would say, really, this is where I, I kind of like to introduce the concept of what we're trying to do kind of in, in any work together, whether it's pain or with sleep or with these other pieces, is recognizing that you want to be able to kind of control what you can and accept what you can. And kind of recognizing what parts of this can fall into the bucket where stuff I have direct control over and stuff that I don't have control over, right? And so it's recognizing that you'll need different strategies for which pieces are falling into which bucket, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. That's a very important thing to keep in mind when, when we talk about how to change our mindset, how to change our perspective, right? Really separate what we are able to control, what we are not able to control, and really put the energy, direct our energy more to things we can control. And that's something can really empower ourselves. Definitely. Another piece that I encourage a lot of my pain clients, but also the sleep ones that I work with as well, is that I'll say this with a caveat. It always depends on what you're doing in the middle of the night, right? But generally speaking, when you're waking up in the middle of the night, you typically want to focus on more strategies that are going to help to calm you and kind of help you to re-enter that kind of restful sleep experience rather than the more kind of proactive, kind of more, more deeper mind ones, which ones like you know cognitive restructuring or thinking about where are my thoughts going right now not because they're not valid i mean i think there's value to doing kind of you know a thought record and understanding what your mind is saying and what's the belief behind them but that really in the middle of the night or when you're kind of wanting to re-enter into that rest is that you want to do as many things that you can that are de-arousing or things that are more soothing and so that can be something as simple as just you know putting a hand over your heart or some other position that you know feels comforting for you just speaking some words of, you know, calm and comforting that says it could be something as simple as, you know, I can get through this or just give myself what I need right now in this moment. Right now, I just want to breathe. So let me just focus on breathing air in and then breathing air out and doing those types of activities versus some of the other ones, which are a little bit more like, okay, let me bust out a piece of paper in the middle of the night and do some other types of more active types of things. But again, I say that with a caveat, it truly depends on if this is just someone waking up and it's a more kind of mild awakening or if it's someone who is wide awake and then you'd use different strategies at that point.
Right, right. Even it's very general suggestion, but I still really love it. There's a lot of good points coming out of it. Is in the middle of the night, right? We really don't want our brain to work too hard. A lot of people say like heavy cognitive work actually can be quite exhausting, or they have to think really hard. A lot of people find it gets them aroused. It's really difficult to calm it down. So I really like what you emphasize in the middle of the night. There are other strategies you can use. It's, you don't have to force yourself to think so hard to analyze everything in the middle of the night. The soothing strategies you mentioned that really feels like come from what you like, the self-compassion rod. That reminds me a lot of great self-compassion techniques. Put your hands on your belly, on your heart, say those nice things to you, to yourself, and remind yourself suffering is, is common and give yourself some hope. Those are, I think, very valuable suggestions. And if people are trying, try them sometimes. Maybe some people may really like it. They try mm-hmm. different things, right? You may find yep. what work, whatever works best for you. This is another piece, and this is true for, you know, for pain, for weight loss, and I think for sleep too, is that there's a really strong desire, I would say, in almost every one of my clients, and I think this is pretty human, is that you always want the magical solution, right? Like you want, you want whether it's a pill or whether it's a technique or whether it's all these things. And the answer is, is that it truly depends on the individual, like what combination of different sets of techniques together are going to be most helpful. It's really kind of practicing that gentle curiosity about, okay, let me try this. Let me see if this plus this plus that. And I know I tried the other thing the other night. That one didn't work, but let me maybe try it again another night and just kind of give yourself that creative kind of flexibility to try out a combination of different things, all of them with the goal of helping you to kind of soothe your body, soothe yourself to kind of re-enter that sleep or start sleep if you haven't been able to get to it. So. <laughs> Right. Build up your psychological toolbox, right? And you can use these tools to apply to different scenarios. And so sounds like for people with chronic pain, working on and uh, understand adjusting your own perspective, how you think, and then guide what you do, it's quite important. And then for the other population you mentioned, for those with excessive body weight, and for them, I can imagine this dilemma that it's possibly very hard for them to move. But you also mentioned for them, daytime, what they do during the daytime also matters. What they can do if it's very hard for them to move. Mm-hmm. This one comes up a lot because I would say one of the more common recommendations is activity, specifically kind of cardiovascular activity, right? Of the idea of you know burning exercise to help kind of increase your sleep pressure, which on its own, phenomenal activity, great thing to do. More of us should kind of be doing that and adding that in. But when you're living with excess body weight and when you're living with chronic pain, it makes movement incredibly difficult. And so this is why I would always say one of my excellent go-tos and referrals is always, number one, have you seen a physical therapist recently? Because we absolutely want to help you to establish a safe movement regimen. And that movement can be things as even as simple as maybe some chair exercises or even some kind of stretching. The real goal being is that eventually we can move over towards trying to just explore other types of activities. Usually aquatic exercise is one of the more better ones mainly because it reduces pressure on the joints and those types of things. But even if it's just some type of movement, and 
this piece in the research is really kind of interesting about what's called non-sedentary activity. So there's exercise and then there's kind of non-sedentary activity and then there's really sedentary activity, which is what I would say a lot of individuals kind of fall more into the, like when you're watching Netflix or you're kind of watching TV, that's more of the sedentary piece. But even non-sedentary activities have benefit. You don't necessarily get amazing cardiovascular workout from them, but there is value to you just getting up and moving around, even if that movement um, is small. You just want to make sure that you're moving in a way that's safe for you um, and in a way that isn't going to exacerbate any of the type of, of injury or pain from that perspective, too. And this is where pacing kind of comes in, um, especially as it relates to pain. But I'll, I'll go into that in a moment. So. Yeah, but I, I absolutely love that. I think that gave people a lot of hope that you don't have to put yourself in a in a framework, in a high standard, like, oh, other people's daytime activities like that. If I cannot do that, I won't be able to help myself. No, it sounds like if you even do a little bit within your own capability, whatever your doctors, your treatment team recommend you, even a tiny bit, it still counts. It still can be helpful. You got it. This comes back to that idea, too, of building up sleep pressure by just engaging in activities. And ideally, too, another common one is to try and reduce or, or completely cut out daytime napping. Um, because any of that is always going to kind of steal some of that sleep pressure that ideally should be building up throughout the day for you. So if you can combine even some non-sedentary activities with some light stretching, um, maybe some aquatics, maybe some, you know, gym equipment or exercise equipment that, again, is low impact. So that could be like an elliptical machine, could be a recumbent bicycle where you're seated. That could even be, you know, on Amazon, they sell these, you know, small, the, the pedal machines where you kind of sit on your couch and just move your feet while you're watching, you know, a, a TV show. Any one of those, it's not that those are things that are going to, you know, be phenomenal. But again, it's about small steps. So it's small pieces that when you combine them together, they help to increase that sleep pressure, which had helped improve your sleep in the night, but also help increase your heart rate and just honestly add more activity to your day. Right. That reminded me, my parents are from China. They don't want to do a lot of exercise. And my dad actually is a little bit overweight. Um, so they are talking about there are some kind of equipment in China that you really just need to stand on uh, some kind of like silicon thing. And you're just shaking your body, just standing <laughs> there and doing some real like... Um, you don't have to even change your position, but you are like shaking your whole body. Nice. And they, they said it's it, it's advertised to be really helpful. Um, so I was really suspicious about that. But now after you mentioned, I'm thinking it possibly better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, I would say. And again, and it falls into this range of, of non-sedentary activity, which it, it's, I'm going to be clear, does not have the same outcomes that exercise does. But meaning that, you know, non-sedentary activity isn't going to give you all these other things that we know exercise does do, like boost your mood, you know, improve your sleep at night, do all these other things. But we do know that it's better than just being sedentary. Honestly, even changing the environment of where you're at can have a huge impact on, you know, how you feel as you go throughout the day and what you feel like you're able to do. So, you know, just even physically changing what you're seeing, what you're looking at can have a real big impact on you as a human being. Yeah, even myself, I totally agree. I have that feeling like if I stuck in the house the whole time throughout the day, it just sometimes feel like it's too much. I already not seeing anyone and I don't even get to be outside. 
But if I just pull a chair to sit outside, even a little bit, sometimes I purposely carve out like half an hour, one hour, just read books outside my door with a chair. And that already makes me feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You got it. And you, I, I love what I heard you say just a few moments ago, outdoor sunlight or actual natural sunlight. It's phenomenal. It's, 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 it's great from a sleep perspective. Um, just because you want to make sure that you get exposure to that. I mean, light in general can be helpful, but really it does seem like outdoor light or sunlight itself has a really kind of centering effect on your body and on your brain um, and can really just have a lot of benefits from that perspective. Right. And then I also know for chronic pain and uh, sleep, there's a, especially for pain, the pacing technique, right, is quite classical. And you mentioned that a little bit. Do you want to introduce that, what that is? Uh, more? Yep. So pacing is is really kind of this idea that uh, it's, a, it's a combination of a few different ideas. The kind of core premise of it is this idea that you really want to learn how you can work smarter, not necessarily harder when it comes to your pain experience and the level of energy that you have. Because pacing works similarly for individuals who are kind of living with fatigue in some way as well, where you have you know a limited amount of energy. And then oftentimes what can happen when you have a limited amount of energy is it's kind of like you're you're like a kid in a candy shop and you're like, oh my gosh, I have energy. Let me like get as many things done right now as I can. Or likewise for my clients with pain, when they have a day where their pain is not flaring up, they're like, oh my gosh, like my pain is not horrible. Let me go and try and do as many things as I, you know, as I can do right now. And the real kind of challenge with that is that it can lead you to then do things that are kind of the opposite of what might be kind of the best. You can kind of go into this boom and bust kind of cycle, where instead of kind of recognizing that your energy is limited and before pain flares up and that your fatigue, your level of energy before fatigue kind of sets on also is limited, you want to find ways to kind of engage in activity that really keep you below your nervous system from kind of sounding the alarm bells or sounding kind of the warning bells. And for, you know, a lot of people, the the hardest part of pacing is learning how to recognize like, what's your level? What's your level of activity that, that you engage in before the, your nervous system starts flaring up and starts kicking back those warning signals. You're like, you're like danger, danger. Like I'm, I'm, I'm engaging in too much activity. You know, one of the kind of class examples that I use, and, and this one's not meant to be, it's, it's just really meant for illustrative purposes, but it's just to compare two people. So one is Joe and then the other one is Mary. And we'll say that Joe, you know, doesn't do any pacing and, you know, has wakes up in the day and Joe's day is his pain rating is maybe a four out of 10 and which is good for him because it's usually maybe like a seven out of 10. And Joe's like, great, I'm going to work hard. And he works hard for hour one and then for hour two. And then for hours three, four, five, and six, he's in pain. And it's mainly because he just kind of, you know, took advantage of that time and the experience of saying, hey, my pain is not flaring up on me. Let me get as much accomplished right now as I can. And that intuitively sounds right. Intuitively, you're like, oh, yeah, like that kind of makes sense. Except when you're living with a chronic health condition like pain or chronic fatigue or some other situation, life is a little bit different. And so because of that, you want to actually learn how to be a little bit smarter with that. So if we look at Joe, he used that six hour period of time. His pain at the beginning was four out of 10. His pain at the end, it was a 10 out of 10. Like Joe worked for solid two hours, but then he was in pain for four hours. And then we just want to take Joe and then compare Joe to kind of Mary. And Mary uses pacing. So the way that Mary approaches this is Mary wakes up in the morning. She's like, I feel like my pain's doing good today. I've got some energy. 
So Mary says, you know what, instead of doing, you know, the non-pacing way, she's going to try this pacing way, which she tries working for 30 minutes and then really resting for 30 minutes and working for 30 minutes, resting for 30 minutes, working for 30, resting for 30. And again, the exact amount actually just kind of depends on, again, knowing your level of activity and you want to keep that below those alarm warning bells. But what's really kind of interesting is that Mary and Joe have the same six hour period of time. And then Mary's pain rating, you know, in the beginning was four out of 10, but at the end was also four out of 10. But here's the real kicker. Mary actually accomplished more work. She was able to work for three hours worth of time versus Joe, who only worked for two hours worth of time. And Mary also spent three of those six hours resting versus Joe spent four of those six hours in pain with his pain kind of flared up, if that kind of makes sense. And so again, these are just kind of figurative examples here, but what's helpful about them is that they can show you the idea that if you can approach your level of activity, especially when you have, you know, a day with low pain or a day where your fatigue is not as intense with recognizing that you still need to take care of yourself. And what I mean by that is alternating periods of activity with periods of rest that you can actually get more done. And at the end of the day, not be in pain. So that's a key difference too. You know, Mary, at the end of those six hours, her pain level was a four out of 10. Joe, at the end of those six hours, his pain level was a 10 out of 10. So a lot more significant, if that makes sense. Well, I love these examples because I think if I'm Joe, not only within that day, I did not accomplish enough and I I was in pain for too long, that's directly going to de- decide the next day I may not want to move at all. And in the future, I may be scared. I may want to rest much, much more, possibly to a healthy level. But if I'm married, I feel encouraged. I feel hope. I feel like I can keep on working like this for the next day or the next week or the next month. You're absolutely right. And and I love what you kind of hit on with that last piece too, of good mood management is good pain management. And I would say the same happens for, for sleep too. And I see this most often come up for my clients that have really been kind of living with sleep problems for, I would say, a solid decade or more, is that you really develop this identity that goes with, you know, really kind of disrupted sleep or really fragmented sleep. And what happens for a lot of of these clients is that you really get wrapped up into the kind of, the, the word that we use as psychologists is that catastrophizing piece. What can kind of happen is that it's kind of like a cascade effect that happens of as soon as we recognize like, oh gosh, there's again a point of friction or a point of something that feels uncomfortable, pain about the sleep, then all of a sudden it kind of spirals out of control. And really the goal is learning how to Again, be calm and kind to yourself because you are suffering if you have poor sleep and you are suffering when your pain flares up, like you're legitimately experiencing conditions that are impacting your life. Like otherwise you wouldn't be reaching out to work with someone to kind of get help on them. So, um, so it's kind of learning how to be calm and compassionate to yourself while also looking at what your behavior is doing so that you can kind of make some consistent changes there. Right. A lot of self-awareness with a lot of self-love. That's wonderful combination, very powerful one. Near the end, just want to ask one more thing you mentioned earlier is about fatigue and napping. Because I know a lot of people have the question. We may we don't need to go into the detail, but I just noticed there are a lot of people with chronic disease, chronic conditions. Fatigue is something they talk about a lot. And uh, 
from sleep perspective, we know fatigue does not equal to sleepiness, right? Um, but a lot of people, when they feel tired during the day, they tend to rest and end up taking a nap. What do you think about this? Yes, great question. And I, I see this a lot too. I see a lot of people who are tired, but not necessarily sleepy. Or another common one is that with fatigue, you can literally just say that I need some rest. What I need, and I'm gonna say rest, but I mean like physical rest, not necessarily like you know, like 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 sleep rest per se. And what happens oftentimes is people kind of confuse those two things with saying, "Oh, I need some sleep right now." And so it's really kind of recognizing that for when you are experiencing fatigue, number one, you definitely want to make sure that you're engaging in some pacing to kind of get yourself throughout the day, and which means taking periods of activity and periods of rest. But then number two is recognizing that when you are tired, are you tired or are you actually sleepy? And if it's during the day, you want to do activities that are for that tiredness that are not activities for sleep related kind of things, if that kind of makes sense. So it could be like, you know, activities that you normally, you know, might not do um, or might not feel as compelled to do them. But maybe you're like, oh, yeah, I need to go like fold some laundry or I need to go, um, you know, give my friend a phone call or do something like those types of activities rather than actually trying to sleep. Um, that being said, full kind of, you know, full caveat and full disclosure is that it's incredibly hard, especially when you have years, if not decades of adjusting to living with chronic fatigue to then say, oh, wait, you're just telling me I got to stop taking sleepy times or nap times in the day, but I spend like four hours every afternoon on my couch. My goal from that perspective is number one is to recognize like, okay, that makes sense. I can tell that for you, this was you trying to get through the day, trying to get through, you know, a, a lived experience for you that's so incredibly challenging. And this is how you've been coping. And then kind of also highlighting and what has that, how has that really impacted you? Yes, you get four hours of rest on the couch in the afternoon, but what does your sleep look like at three o'clock in the morning? And at three o'clock in the morning, they're like, oh yeah, you're right. Like I'm, maybe it's not as good in the nighttime. And so it's kind of, again, finding those ways to recognize for yourself, are you tired versus sleepy? Because there is a difference between the two. Right. I, I love uh, your approach. I always try to use some real life experience stories to really help people think instead of just tell them theories. Hey, these two are different, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, no, you're absolutely right. I would say as a psychologist, I'm fully guilty of myself of like diving deeper into like, what's, what's the model here at work? Like what's happening? But at the end of the day, you know, the person that's sitting across from me, like in a chair over a video screen right now, because it's all over video telehealth, they want to get better. They want to have better sleep. They want to have pain relief. They want to be able to manage the weight better. And so it's coming from that fundamental place of saying, okay, I get that. You're wanting something different. And the ways that you're coping with it right now maybe they aren't working as well for you. So we want to find some ways to create new, more workable kind of solutions to that. Yeah, totally. I, I love um, your how you combine all these different areas of experience, knowledge together and deliver this kind of high quality care to the patients. If our audience, they have questions or challenges in their own life or they have family members, friends live with chronic conditions and also has some sleep difficulties, do you have practice? How, if they want to get your service, how can they find you? Great question. So yeah, so I would say the internet is the best way to find me right now. So they can um, find me on my website. So my website is myfullname.com. So that's uh, Daniel Bond, 
com, and that's D-A-N-I-E-L and B-A-U-G-H-N. But you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram. Um, my handle is at Daniel Bond PhD. Google is always your friend too. So, but um, definitely reach out. My goal in general is just to be a helpful source of information for people. So even if people decide not to work with me is that maybe I know someone that's near them that maybe they can get connected to and we kind of go from there. I really hope you will have some books in the future or your classes. <laughs> I think that can benefit even more people. I would love to do that. I've thought about doing that. Um, and I would say it's one of those like back burner ideas of finding more ways to kind of spread the message of like, look, like the things that got you to where you're at right now are not your fault. You've responded to some situations in some ways that maybe didn't work so well for you. And it's understandable. Like as human beings, we do that, right? Instead of blaming ourselves and getting really negative on ourselves and harshing ourselves really bad, let's find ways to find more workable solutions to that stuff. Thank you so much, Dr. Bang, for coming to the show, sharing all this wonderful information to our audience and bring hope to a lot of people. Well, my conversation with Dr. Bang definitely brings some hope to myself. I'm experiencing a lot of shoulder pain recently because of my crappy chair. While I'm still waiting for the new chair to be delivered to me, I think I definitely can use his suggestion to cope with my pain when I try to sleep. I will start with some meditation practice tonight. How about you? If there's anything you find useful and want to try, please let me know later whether it helps you and what have you tried that you find very helpful to you. If you want to find more about Dr. Bond's service, you can go to danielbond.com to find his website and his service. I will also put his information on our show notes at deepintosleep.co. Thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk, and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.